If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, The Authority of the Believer. I trust that you've been enjoying this series. As we continue our journey through this vital subject, I can't stress enough how vital it is for all Christians to obtain a solid grasp of these biblical revelations in our spirit. In this episode, we will go into the particulars of spiritual warfare, deliverance ministry, and the operation of demons. The mandate continues, setting the captives free. God never intended that there should ever be any change in the methods of ministry down through the ages. Only as nations developed should these methods be broadened. But the miraculous element enfolded in the name of Jesus should be the means of opening closed doors to the church everywhere. The sick should be healed, the power of Satan broken over people's lives, and captives set free. All this is done in the name of this unseen Savior, There is life in his name for those who believe in him. John chapter 14 verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I like what's stated in Acts chapter 28 verse 3. As Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. 
The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the only hope for the world. He is the solution for all our social ills. If any nation would truly put their trust in him, what an impact that would have on all aspects of society. All nations walk away from the light of Jesus Christ. The only thing left is to walk into darkness, confusion, and misery. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 17, this was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 in the Amplified Uprightness and right standing with God, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relation, elevate a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The name of Jesus, still controversial. Jesus knew the place his name would hold upon people. People would either love it enough to die for it, others would hate it enough to commit murder on account of it. This name that makes demons tremble and saints rejoice. It's no wonder that sinners use that name in vain when they curse God. Have you ever noticed the ungodly are selective about using the name of Jesus in their curses? They do not say, well, Buddha, why did that happen? Or, oh, Muhammad, not again. Since the name of Jesus holds real power, it makes sense for Satan to urge his followers to use it in sacrilegious manner. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be saved, and by your words you will be condemned. When the crippled man at the gate beautiful was healed through the name of Jesus, the Sanhedrin wanted to know what power or what means they used, or by what name they had done this mighty act. Well, in Acts chapter 4 verse 1, the priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I love the irony here. These two humble fishermen, Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking the name of Jesus, standing there before all the greatest and wisest in all of Israel. An outstanding miracle has been performed and they could not deny it, explain it, or accept it because it was done in the name that had they had denounced and crucified. The only thing they could do is to breathe out threats to not speak in this name anymore. They were terrified of the power of the name of Jesus. Have you ever noticed the world does not care if you talk about God as a general term or some higher power? But look out when you speak the name of Jesus. Folks get offended quick, bent out of shape, and hostile when they hear that name. It's because the demons that are dominating their lives freak out when they hear the wonderful name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4 verse 13, says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak any longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is just how God does things how he rolls, if you will. He is the God that is due all the glory, for he is worthy of it all. So what better way to assent his glory than by choosing common vessels, regular old folks, that are not in any way special in the eyes of the world, wise, talented, or influential? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Paul said, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Luke chapter 10 verse 21, at that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. In Acts chapter 17 verse 6, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. 
He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So what was the response of the early church in the face of persecution? Simple, more Lord, more signs and wonders through your name. The disciples now expected that signs and wonders were to follow the preaching of the gospel in the name of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. John chapter 16, verse 2, They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this in the first because I was with you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, this is the wonderful response of the church in light of persecution. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. I would like you to note that persecution from religious folks is usually rooted in envy and jealousy because God will not sanction their traditions and religious dogma. As it was with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, Abel was following God in simple obedience, while Cain arrogantly presumed his own way and was rejected. Well, God had no choice but to honor Abel's obedience and reject Cain's defiance. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, uh, concerning Jesus on trial uh, before Pilate, for he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Acts chapter 13, verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. As a result, Cain was jealous of God accepting Abel, murdered his brother. This, my friend, was the first murder over religion. Yet God had originally encouraged Cain to do the right thing and obey him. If he would have just submitted and followed God's way, he would have been accepted. Yet Cain persisted in unbelief, a stubborn refusal to accept the truth. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, 
from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No student can read the book of Acts without being impressed with the large place the name of Jesus held with the early church. When it came to preaching the gospel, the central truth was a declaration of the name of Jesus, which is the core of the salvation message. In Vine's Expository Dictionary, the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation, or is the Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Obviously, the early church devoted a lot of time to instructing the people in regard to the use of the name of Jesus. They must have understood that they had what we would call today a legal right to use the name of Jesus, which is delegated authority. Next, let's look at enforcing Satan's defeat. Have you ever noticed how throughout the ministry of Jesus that he had regularly encountered the devil and evil spirits and put them in their place, casting them out of the lives and bodies of people? Sad to say that one would naturally think in reading our modern religious literature and listening to the average preacher's sermon that demons had gone out of existence or else they had been herded together in the slums of inner city neighborhoods and were spending their entire time among the lower strata of humanity or in third world countries. The reality is that the Bible has a lot to say about demons, their habits, influence, and power over mankind. For starters, consider the ministry of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, verse 37, You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, for after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In Luke chapter 13, verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrite! Doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. On a side note, the Bible teaches that healing, in reality, is spiritual warfare. Sickness and disease is satanic oppression, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, either directly by the presence of a spirit of infirmity or indirectly through the fall and introduction of sin and death into the world. 
So when it comes to ministering to the sick, whether we're dealing directly or indirectly with the devil, we demand in the name of Jesus rather than offer the prayer of petition and ask God to do something about it. Now, we've been authorized to destroy the works of the devil wherever we see it. There is no question as to God's will when it comes to dealing with the devil in folks' lives. Cast the sickness out, rebuke it, and command it to leave in Jesus' name. Now, I've shared this before. When people come forward and alter a prayer line for healing, I never ask God to heal them because Jesus already provided healing for them 2,000 years ago. Rather, I lay hands on them and I rebuke and take authority over the work of the enemy and cast it out in Jesus' name. Here's an example in the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went into the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. See, that's how we're supposed to deal with sickness and disease. We rebuke it and command it to leave their body in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 9, verse 25 When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Referring to Luke chapter 13, verse 10, I believe that part of the rebuke that Jesus gave the Pharisees was in regards to their position as experts of the law. Notice that Jesus made concerning healing in regards to, then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham? inferring that healing already belonged to her under the Abrahamic covenant. Jehovah Rapha, one of God's redemptive names, meaning the Lord, my healer. There are scores of healing promises under the old covenant. Why didn't these religious leaders teach her about her rights and privileges as a daughter of Abraham concerning healing? Clearly, they had seriously dropped the ball and were derelict and incompetent in their duties in ministering to the sick and the oppressed. Unfortunately today, professional clergy are just as guilty as the religious leaders of the Old Testament, bound by human traditions and embalmed in unbelief, impotent to do much good for suffering people. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Nowhere in the ministry of Jesus, which is our model for us to follow today, because in 1 John 2.6 it says, Anyone who claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. Did he have to ask God's will on whether or not he should heal folks? For Jesus, getting people healed and saved was equally important. If people die before they can get saved, what's the point? Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing folks, left, right, and center. He was a healing machine. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Today, his healing ministry continues through his body of believers, who use his name to lay hands on the sick and cast out demons. We see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed Jesus. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Aren't you glad God doesn't show favoritism? He's willing for everyone to be cleansed and and set free from sickness and disease. This scripture alone should end the debate. It is always God's will for folks to be healed. It is just as much as his will for all people to be healed 
as it is for them to be saved, without exception. The only time Jesus was limited in ministering healing to the sick was when folks had a lack of faith to receive. It's the same today, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Come to think of it, it also takes faith for people to get born again as well. Interesting, isn't it? It seems that faith is an important ingredient in receiving anything from God according to the Bible. Like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, By grace, through faith, are you saved. Not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Who do you think is behind medical science anyways? Vaccines and other technologies that improve and prolong human life. That's right. God is behind extending life and Satan wants to shorten it. John chapter 10 verse 10. We know that the wages of sin is death according to Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The effects of death on a person are threefold, spirit, soul, and body. From a physical point of view, a lifestyle of habitual sin will age a person and cause them to meet the grave at an early age. Just look at how drug and alcohol abuse causes folks to age terribly. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Ministering healing to the sick and afflicted is to engage in spiritual warfare against the devil. I've heard of folks getting healed by just speaking the name of Jesus over and over again. So no one was asking God for healing. There is no need to pray about something that is already God's will. That's why when people get saved, they don't have to ask to be, to be saved. They just confess Jesus is Lord, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. We just need to enforce Satan's defeat. Serve that diabolical disease and eviction notice. Come out, you foul cancer, in the name of Jesus. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How dare you desecrate it with your presence? Sickness is like spiritual graffiti. To mar, distort, and disfigure the object of God's love, people. Realizing that Satan can't get back at God directly, he indirectly tries to get away with murder against God's children by some wasting disease, if they allow him to. It's not God's will for his children to be sick any more than it is for sinners to go to hell. Let's get busy going about ministering the healing virtue that is found in the mighty name of Jesus to the physically oppressed. I'm going to read this passage again in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. In James chapter 5, verse 14, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or woman of God is powerful and effective. Let's learn the secret of taking a permanent place in our rights and privileges and live in the authority invested in the name of Jesus and enjoy the fullness of his mighty power. In the end times, there will be a mighty army of believers who will learn the secret of living in the name, reigning in life by Jesus Christ over the devil in a victorious resurrection life among people. 
If our minds could only grasp that Satan is paralyzed, stripped of his armor by the Lord Jesus Christ, sickness, disease, and all satanic oppression are servants of Jesus and us through his name. In Jesus' name, they must leave. In Matthew chapter 8, the centurion said to Jesus, Just say the word only. I am a man under authority. Jesus commended this Gentile with greater faith than all those in Israel because this soldier understood the secret of releasing authority is found in speaking words. As a centurion, he commanded a hundred men. As a result, he could take charge of those men and give them orders that they had to be obeyed. How much more, having been given authority through his name over the power of the enemy, according to Luke chapter 10, verse 19, should we rise up and put the devil in his rightful place under our feet? Jesus has set us far above all the powers of the enemy to be master and to tell the devil what to do, and he has to obey. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Remember, this delegated authority that has been given to us in the name of Jesus is for us in the here and now, not in the sweet by and by. We don't need spiritual authority when we get to heaven, because the devil won't be there. Where we need it is here on this planet, Earth, where Satan is currently the small g god of this world system. Okay, let's get back to the story. In effect, the centurion was saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know you are Lord and master over demons, sickness, and disease, as I'm in charge over these hundred men, as a centurion. So as master over these things, even over the laws of nature, you exercise this authority through commands as I do. Therefore, for my sick servant to be made well, all you have to do is speak and command him to be well, and it will be done. In this beautiful illustration, we see that the centurion had risen to a high plane of spiritual appreciation of Jesus than most believers enjoy today. This is it, folks. The key to releasing authority and enforcing Satan's defeat, speak the name of Jesus. Let's now look at an example about a demon that Jesus would not deal with, a great illustration from Kenneth E. Hagin. One day, Jesus in a vision appeared to Brother Hagin and was speaking to him about how to deal with Satan and the demonic, when conveniently, a demon happened to barge in on the scene and promptly jumped in between the two of them. Please understand that this was an open vision that Brother Hagin was having with Jesus. Now, this evil spirit, about the size of a monkey, just started jumping up and down, yelling in a shrill voice, 
yakety yak 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 over and over again and created a smokescreen so that Brother Hagen could no longer see Jesus. Obviously, the enemy was trying to hinder and keep Brother Hagen from hearing the important things that Jesus had to say. Amazingly, Jesus just kept on talking, but Brother Hagen could only pick up a few words at a time. Perplexed, Brother Hagen was wondering why Jesus was allowing this and permitting this demon to interrupt their conversation. Finally, in desperation and frustration over the situation, he addressed the demon and commanded it to shut up and stop. Well, that demon just fell flat to the ground like a big flop and whimpered like a whipped pup. The dark cloud immediately began to disappear so he could see Jesus again. Then he told the the devil to leave them in Jesus' name and it ran off in terror. Brother Hagen was still wondering in his mind, why didn't Jesus do something about the evil spirit? Well, Jesus, of course, knowing his thoughts, proceeded to answer this question for him. What Jesus said next had upended his theology and mine when I first heard it, and perhaps it will yours as well. Jesus said, if you had not done something about that, I couldn't. Well, Brother Hagen thought he misunderstood him and, and asked him, Lord, you mean you wouldn't, right? No, Jesus said plainly, I couldn't. This went on back and forth a few times. Finally, Jesus said emphatically, no, I couldn't. Someone would say, don't tell me that there is something Jesus couldn't do. He could do anything. Well, again, if that was true, he could everyone save today and tomorrow we'd go into the millennium. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say for the believer to pray that God or Jesus would do something about the devil. As a matter of fact, for the New Covenant believer to pray for God to do something about the devil would be wasting their time. It's easier to think we are turning the responsibility over to the Lord and dealing with the devil, but that is our job now. If we don't deal with him, then nothing will be done. The least believer, so to speak, in the body of Christ has just as much authority as any other believer. We are living under the new covenant, not the old, which was written to spiritually dead people at that time. We need to particularly live in the epistles of the New Testament. Now I'll back these statements up with some scripture. When it comes to establishing doctrine, we need a few scriptures on the matter according to the principle outlined in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's based on the Old Testament principle. We've already looked at Luke chapter 10, verse 17, but there are a few more. All authority was given to Jesus, who immediately through the power of attorney delegated that authority over to the church. By saying go into all the world with this authority and to preach the gospel. That's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, that these signs will accompany. So who is the subject of the sentence? that the signs will follow, God or us. Do we pray that Jesus will speak in other tongues? No, then why do we ask Jesus to heal the sick and deal with the devil? It's not Jesus laying his hands on the sick. No, we do it, exercising the authority that was given to us in his behalf through his name. 
Remember the old WWJD, what would Jesus do? Let's look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15 together. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Again, this is the power of attorney. Yes, Jesus is doing it through us, through his name, but it's up to us to actually step out in faith and do the work of the ministry. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Who resists the devil, God or us? Every New Testament writer told the believer to do something about the devil, never to ask God to do something, because the simple truth is, God has already done everything he's going to do about the devil. That was done 2,000 years ago. It's up to us today to enforce Satan's defeat. We're the occupying army. The war is already been won. Jesus is the victor. The Bible is true. If our perception is that the Bible didn't work, then we didn't work it according to the directions. Otherwise, God is a liar, and this whole thing called Christianity is a sham. Our feelings on the matter has nothing to do with our authority, how anointed we are, or if God still loves us. Our faith must be on God's word. What does God's word say? No matter how we feel, we must exercise this authority over the devil for ourselves. No one can do it for us. The very throne of God backs up our authority in Jesus' name. You know, there is truth to that saying, when good men do nothing, evil prevails. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's fleeing from us when we resist him in the name of Jesus. The word flee here in the Greek means to run from us as in terror. From us, afraid of the greater one, the Holy Spirit within us, according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. We have a big brother, Jesus, who stands behind us and ensures the devil complies when we stand against him. The devil flees from us, according to the Bible. I realize for some of us, this is hard to accept, because for all those years of being religiously brainwashed of with how unworthy we are, incapable, pitiful, just be happy God is letting a miserable sort like me into heaven kind of theology, trying to be humble when all we were being was ignorant of the new covenant realities of a glorious redemption that has exalted us to the right hand of God in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Let's not be ashamed of what Jesus has done for us. Yes, we were, we were miserable sinners, but not anymore. By God's grace, we are saints, children of the Most High God. Jesus is now our righteousness. He made us worthy through his blood. Let's not grovel in sin consciousness anymore. Let's rise up in righteousness in Christ consciousness. Let's dwell on those realities, those truths now. Let's start living up to our standing as children of God, gratefully accepting our glorious inheritance in the saints and light, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 23. Let's not receive God's grace in vain for our lives and live under the lies of the devil and our past. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and also Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It's really sad to see how much faith that people, even ministers, have in the power of the devil. I have faith in the power of God. 
Don't give in to fear. The only power the devil has against us is deception and lies. As long as we do not buy into them and accept them, he cannot dominate us. The enemy cannot curse what God has blessed. You know, Balaam tried that when he tried to put a curse on the people of Israel, but it did not work. Surely goodness and mercy will follow and overtake us, according to Psalms chapter 23. I have faith in God's power in me and over my life to put me over all of life's challenges. Let's read Psalms 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that the devil cannot just devour anyone. Yes, he acts like a roaring lion, but the Bible does not say that he is one. We can get all the ministers in the world to pray for us, and nothing will happen if we don't learn how to resist the devil for ourselves. There are some things we have to do. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Notice that Peter is writing to the church here, not to unbelievers. Rolling over and playing dead or hiding our heads in the sand will not make the devil go away. When we are submitted to God and resist the devil with the word and the name of Jesus, he will flee from us. Resist the devil with our faith in God's word, speaking it out of our mouths as a two-edged sword. This belongs to all Christians. We don't have to go and find someone to do it for us. As Christians, we have all the same authority. No believer has any more authority than another. The problem often is found in that we allow things to happen. We don't exercise our authority. The truth is, if we allow it, God will allow it. By inaction, we forfeit our rights. That's not good. Now, we can carry baby Christians for a while on our own faith, but they have to learn who they are in Christ and start appropriating it in their own lives. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her own owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Notice that in the above account in the scriptures that Paul spoke to the spirit, not to the woman who was demon-possessed. Ever wonder why Paul did not cast the spirit out immediately? Perhaps the woman did not want to be free at first. One thing is for certain, we can't operate spiritual gifts unless we are in the spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit to manifest, otherwise it's in the flesh by our own accord. It may be that Paul was waiting for a manifestation of discerning of spirits to come into operation according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. When dealing with other people 
in matters of ministry, there are other dynamics in play as opposed to resisting the devil in our own lives. The other person has to want to be free. We have the same name of Jesus today as the Apostle Paul did. It's the same name that gets the job done. How we have neglected it, though. Remember, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We deal with the spirit working through the person. We have authority to bind evil spirits from operating through other folks in order to keep them from harassing other Christians. We would say to the demon, you foul spirit that is operating through this person, I command you to cease and desist from your maneuvers and operations in the name of Jesus. The devil is afraid of the person of Jesus who backs his name and of the mighty Holy Spirit who indwells us. Remember, we are dealing with spirits, not individuals. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, joy is the note of victory. Sin consciousness robs believers of the victory. Know that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. When we hear the whine in people's voices, we have them located as defeated. Let's get in the word. Let's practice the truth whether we feel like it or not. When we know our rights and privileges, when the devil gets in our way and sees us coming, he'll be the one running away. The church has been singing the song, Hold the Fort, We get in a defensive position when we should be on the offensive and destroy the works of the enemy. No more intimidation or fear of the enemy because of the greater realization of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's wake up as an army of believers and take our place in Christ and act like the Bible is true and do the exploits of the early church in the name of Jesus. Therefore, there is no place or excuse for the believer to whine, cry, slobber, and throw a pity party. Consider Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. After they had cast out the demon out of the slave girl, her owners had Paul and Silas thrown into jail according to Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 22. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. However, Paul and Silas in their darkest hour lifted up praise and worship to God. That is when their deliverance came. Suppose they had thrown a pity party instead, probably would have had a different outcome. Sure, one may say, easier said than done. My response is, what are the alternatives then? Do we resign ourselves to suffer under oppression of the enemy, wallowing in self-pity? That position does not help but hinder our deliverance from coming. It may provide some temporary relief for our flesh to feel sorry for ourselves, but in reality, it only makes our situation worse. I'm not making this up. This is God's will for us according to the scriptures. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is really important to have a victor's attitude, because in Jesus we are more than conquerors. Without this disposition, using the name of Jesus becomes an apologetic enterprise with no power. That is why the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always, in everything give thanks. In the midst of the trials, tests, and temptations, counting it all joy. The Bible calls us victors, more than conquerors. Let's start acting like this. The problem is folks will say, well, I just don't feel like more than a conqueror. That is what defeats them. Living in the sense realm, we walk by faith, not by sight. If we pull the devil into the realm of faith, in God's word, we will beat him every time. If we allow him to get our eyes on the circumstances like Peter when he looked at the waves while he was walking on water, we will sink like he did. But if we call out, Lord, save me, Jesus is always faithful to pull us out of the mess we get ourselves in when we are faithless. Don't be offended if he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Here's a side tip. Physical exercise is of some value, right? The flesh is inherently lazy, so physical exercise is a tool to help our spirit bring our body under subjection, which has great spiritual implications. We will have more energy to pray, study, and do God's work. It will also provide stamina to minister under the anointing so we don't fall out and become weary in well-doing. Ministering under the anointing takes a toll on our body, so being physically fit will serve us well in order to be able to minister for a longer period of time before needing a break. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The problem with some Christians is their wrong thinking. They have been led to believe that Jesus has all the authority in heaven and in earth, and is sovereign and can do whatever he wants to do. Therefore, it's up to him to deal with the devil, sickness, and disease, because he has the authority. Sadly, so many Christians have been religiously brainwashed into thinking, well, God is sovereign. If he wants to do something about the problems in life that we face, he'll do it. If he doesn't change things, it must be because he wants to teach us something, because he has the authority and the power. Just leave it up to God. When sickness or depression comes, just accept it because God is allowing it to work something out in your life. The reality is that the devil has already defeated these believers through lies, deception, and religious traditions of men, which is bondage. The truth is that it's not up to God, but it's up to us on this earth to deal with the devil and face his trials, tests, and temptations head-on with a a more-than-a-conqueror attitude. If anything is going to be done with the devil, we have to do it by using the name of Jesus. God is not going to lift a finger in regards to the devil, since he was already paralyzed him 2,000 years ago through his death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now it's up to us to enforce Satan's defeat. Jesus won for us. Bottom line, if we don't do anything about the devil, 
in binding and loosing him, according to Matthew chapter 18, then nothing will be done. If we allow him to run rampant in our lives, God will allow it as well. It's up to us. So many believers are waiting on God to do something about the devil when God is waiting on us to resist the devil and put him on the run in Jesus' name, and God will back up the name of Jesus. Our place of authority in combat. Does the church have authority that she has not recognized? Yes, we have not even gotten to the edge of it. However, by the time Jesus returns, there will be a host of believers who will rise up and walk in this authority God has given us. Jesus defeated death, so we have authority to rebuke death, since it is the same as rebuking the devil. Like the policeman, he does not pray that the traffic will stop. He uses his authority and commands it to stop. Nowhere in the New Testament do we ever see Jesus or the apostles pray to God about the devil. They rebuked the devil and he obeyed. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We as the church have been given authority that Jesus had obtained through conquest. His intent is that we exercise it on the earth today. Yet most Christians have not realized this yet and have barely grasped the implications of the name of Jesus. God has exalted us to his own right hand in Jesus according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 7. Too often Christians are bound up in defeat and held captive by fear. We are above sickness and disease and all that's evil. Jesus is the head to the church over all these things. For the church's benefits, the devil will fight us in this area of the authority of the believer more than any other area. But if we will persist in stubborn faith, the victory will be ours. Beware of open doors to the enemy. It is important not to give the devil any place in us, any foothold or exploit any weaknesses. The good news is that the devil cannot take any place unless we give it to him. He can't just gain access to our lives and homes whenever he wants. He must be invited. It's up to us whether the devil has any place in our life. There's nothing Jesus can do if we give the devil permission in our lives, because we have the authority. Jesus has already defeated the devil and did what we could not do. Until that angel in Revelation chapter 20 verse 3 comes to bind the devil for a thousand years, nothing's going to be done to him by God unless we do it. Feed on these truths and get them into your spirit so you can act on them in faith. When we get into the area of sin, disobedience, fear, doubt, and unbelief without repenting, we leave the door open for the enemy to come on in. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The scriptures have a lot to say about staying sharp, alert, and keeping our flesh under control so we don't get taken advantage of by the enemy. Mark chapter 13 verse 33 says, Be on guard, be alert. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the saints. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. James chapter 5 verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. 
The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We have authority in our lives and our home. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Authority in our own lives, but what about in the lives of others? Evil spirits are rebel holders of authority, dethroned by Christ. Adam, who was the god of this world at that time, had committed high treason and sold us out to the devil, who became the small g god of this world instead. Adam had the legal right to do this, but not the moral right. Thank God Jesus came and dethroned the devil. For Jesus is called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. Jesus became our substitute. We have authority over the devil, and we can dominate him now, but not over human wills. Crazy enough, they may want the devil in their life, but when it comes to my life, I can make him leave me alone and my household. So remember, it's a different dynamic when dealing with other people outside of our house. Their wills are involved. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life that you and your children may live. We can't exercise authority over human wills. God doesn't himself. So if God does not exercise authority over human wills, neither can we. Nor can we exercise authority over evil spirits and other people unless they want to be helped. Some people want it just the way it is. And it will stay that way because they like it that way. Yes, they are deceived. We can address the power of deception over their lives and claim their deliverance and salvation. Remember, until they want a change in their life, it's going to stay the way it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. We can't go down the street and cast the devil out of everyone we meet, because they may not want the devil out of their lives. We as individuals in our own lives and homes have authority to exercise it there. We don't have authority over the devil in the lives of other people or our fellow church members unless they give us their permission. Nor do we have authority over the devil out in this world because he has a right to be out there. He is the, again, small g, God of this world until Adam's lease runs out. Because he took up Adam's lease in the Garden of Eden. When that lease runs out, there will be an end of him In the earth. However, he can't dominate us even though he has a right to be here. Because Jesus defeated him for us and for sinners if they would know it and accept it for themselves. We as believers have no authority to march down to the red light district of our cities and tell those proprietaries of ungodliness that they have to leave. Nor can we converge on every abortion clinic in town and lock their doors. However, we can get so many people saved in those areas through revival, that they run out of business and close down. We can also bind the demonic powers behind those evil industries to cease and desist from their maneuvers and operations in those areas. We can reclaim bad parts of town for God's glory through the word of God and prayer in the name of Jesus. The biblical method for social reform is the new birth. When folks get saved, they don't want to sin anymore. This deals with the root of the problem. In Acts chapter 19 verse 18, Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds 
a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Eternal life in Jesus. According to the promise of life, there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It is the very life of God imparted unto the spirit of people. That's eternal life. The life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. The Greek word for life is zoe, which means eternal life. The very life and nature of God. That is what eternal life means, which is the God kind of life. His words are spirit and their life, according to John 6.63. Through the new birth, we receive the life and nature of God and are born into God's family, as children of God, partakers of His divine nature. When we stay with the Word, we stay in the life of God. And what is God's divine nature? Love, for God is love. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Having a revelation of eternal life is essential to operating in the authority of the believer. Knowing it and walking in it will cause us to prevail in every area of life. It also causes the light and revelation of God's word to come forth and set the believer on the ascendancy. You know, the greater one, the Holy Spirit, is inside of us. The greater one lives inside of us, so we have nothing to fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. God in us makes us master in this world. God is bigger than the devil, storms, tests, trials, or any force that comes against us. We need to learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 states that we will reign in life as kings through Jesus. It's not about experiences, feelings, or natural things, but the reality of faith in God's word. The greater one came and made his home in us. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us forever. John chapter 14 verse 16. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we don't need to try to get a hold of God. The Holy Spirit already lives inside of us, and Jesus said he would be with us always. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. We have been saying that according to Luke chapter 10 verse 19, we have authority over all the power of the enemy. When we believe this truth in our hearts, we will act like it is true in our life. We will have a spring in our step. Our countenance will light up because the word works. Just act like the Bible is true. The greater one is inside of us. The eyes of a human are the windows to their soul. When dealing with demonized folks, try to look them in the eyes and you will will find that they will not look at you or give you eye contact. Every Christian is a master of the devil. God comes to dwell in us for a reason to be a master over the powers of darkness and exercise dominion. We are God's representatives in this earth. The Holy Spirit wants to be as powerful in us, the body of Christ, as he was in Jesus 2,000 years ago. Doing greater works, or more works, by working through millions of believers throughout the world. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This may sound like a fairy tale, because for so long we have been taught a psychology of doubt and unbelief, of what we are not and cannot do, and how weak and unworthy we are. 
you know, just a sinner saved by grace, so don't expect much in this life. True, I was a sinner at one time before I knew Jesus, but now that I'm born again, I am a child of God by grace through faith. These well-meaning Christians think if they just pray long enough, fast long enough, do some kind of penance and cry and beg God into the notion that maybe if he feels like it, he might just consider their plea for help and give them just a thimble full of power. That kind of thinking, my brother and sister, is what the Bible calls doctrines of demons. The enemy has deceived the church in this area. The Lord has given us the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. The Bible has so much to say about the power we already have. If we were to give an altar call for spirit-filled believers to come forward to receive the power of God in their lives, 99% of them will come forward for what they already have. Fear of the devil for the Christian is just plain nonsense. God has not given us a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 in the Amplified. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Training in godliness is key to growing in the things of God in this life and the life to come. We need to cash in on the promises of God and enjoy his provision for all things that pertain to life and godliness. God never gives anyone fear or a message of fear. On the contrary, the Bible has over a hundred references of phrases like fear not, don't be afraid, and the like. So let's change our vocabulary to not speak these kinds of words in our lives. Fear gives place to the devil if we yield to it. Actually, fear is a temptation and is a sin when yielded to. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus exercises authority over the elements. There is authority in the name of Jesus even over the laws of nature. Consider the storm that Jesus rebuked. Anything that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, we have authority to speak the name of Jesus and it will stop dead in its tracks. That's all we have to do is speak the word only in sickness, disease, and the devil will obey us. Like the policeman, we have been endowed through the power of attorney, authority to enforce Satan's defeat, to go about doing good and destroying all the works of the devil with weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in our left, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Let's read about that account of the storm that Jesus calmed in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so that the boat was swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? Jesus asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. When Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee, I believe the devil caused the storm on purpose to come upon the lake in an attempt to drown Jesus and end the whole thing right then and there. In Job chapter 1, we see that Satan was the cause of Job's calamities. 
one of them being a great wind that destroyed the house where his children were feasting and killed them all in Job chapter 1 verse 18. Instead of calling tornadoes and hurricanes an act of God, the responsibility for the perversion of nature would be the handiwork of Satan, not God. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, I do not see Adam building a storm shelter to protect himself and Eve from tornadoes. These aberrations of nature came upon the earth as a result of sin, and sin is what gives the devil right to afflict the world with famine, wars, and natural disasters in order to kill, steal, and destroy humanity, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's look at the same account in Mark chapter 4, verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Notice that Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and they obeyed him. Jesus went on to rebuke them for their lack of faith. He made an astonishing statement, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Fear is the opposite of faith. Actually, fear is faith in the devil and what he is going to do, an expectation or dread of bad things happening. As faith comes by hearing the words of God, fear comes by hearing the words of the devil. If Jesus had not intervened with faith, the fear of the disciples would have enabled the devil to sink that boat. Romans chapter 14, verse 23, Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now you may be thinking, So, brother, are you asserting that I have authority over the weather? Well, according to the words of Jesus, I have to say yes. The fact Jesus rebuked the disciples was on account that they did not handle the situation themselves and address the storm. In John chapter 14, verse 12 in the Amplified, Jesus said, I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able to do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. I don't think it's a coincidence that after the storm, as soon as Jesus and disciples arrived at the shore, they were met by a demon-possessed man. I believe there was a direct connection between the storm trying to keep Jesus from coming ashore and casting the demons out of this man. Luke chapter 8 verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Strategically, Satan would rather have people die young of natural disasters, sickness and disease, war, etc., in order to keep them from being able to hear the gospel and get saved. A premature death of unbelievers ensures that Satan, that those poor souls will go to hell. God, on the other hand, wants 
people to stay alive as long as possible so they can hear the gospel as many times as possible in order for them to get saved. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. James chapter 1, verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Jesus has come and has set the record straight as to who is the source, the author and giver of good and evil. I've already mentioned the simple theology of good God versus bad devil. It's worth repeating. For the Christian, if it's good, it's from God, so accept it. If it's bad, meaning to kill, steal, and destroy your life, and that's bad, resist it in the name of Jesus. For example, does cancer kill, steal, and destroy people's lives? Then it is not from your heavenly Father, but from the devil. And no, it's not God trying to keep us humble or teach us some deep, esoteric, mysterious spiritual truth. It's simply Satan trying to take us out of this earth so we can't do any more damage to his kingdom as a Christian. For something that the Bible teaches so simply, it's amazing to me how the devil has confused Christians on this matter. The Amplified states in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Notice that James by the Holy Spirit had to address this satanic lie that God is the author of trials, tests, and temptations. Just look at the context of verses 1 through 15. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Deceived about what, James? Deceived into thinking that God brings trials, tests, and temptations into our life, that God is the author of it, or approves of what the devil is doing to kill, steal, and destroy us. So James chapter 1 verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of them is to put the blame on God for every bad thing that happens. Actually, Satan would love for folks to believe that he does not exist. This would give him carte blanche to run rampant, creating misery wherever he goes with anonymity. No one would think to stand up against him and stop him if he does not exist. The other extreme would be for the devil to get us to believe that he is behind everything, become so demon conscious that God becomes small and the devil becomes huge in our mind. No, the Bible teaches a balance in the middle. Yes, the devil exists. He is the the God of this world and is responsible party for bad things that happen in this world. However, Jesus has defeated him 2,000 years ago and placed him under our feet for us to rule and dominate the devil, sin, sickness, and all the kingdom of darkness. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Amplified says, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. When we look at the New Covenant Church, Paul by the Holy Spirit reveals that our battle is not with flesh and blood. People are not our problem. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Nor are the weapons of our warfare of this earth. They are supernatural. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7 With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 Ephraim, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So what are these mighty weapons, you may ask? Well, the first one is the Word of God, then the name of Jesus, the prayer of faith, the anointing and presence of the Holy Spirit that destroys the yoke of bondage, praise and worship. Walking in love overcomes evil with good, even joy and laughter. To whom do we engage in said warfare? Surely not with God, We're not trying to twist God's arm into taking care of us, not when he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1, verse 2. God is certainly not the one trying to hold us back from entering into his perfect will for our lives and enjoy our glorious inheritance on this earth. Since there are no battles in heaven, but rather here on this earth, our promised land for believers is here and now. Taking hold of the promises of God, for our lives and advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. Consider the blessed, inspiring promise that greeted Israel as they faced the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22, If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispose nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he has promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. Footprints means possession. 
but it must be their own footprints. God would back them up in the battles that were fought. Our Jesus gives us the same incentive for conquest today. Don't find yourself in the desert as they did because of unbelief. Every promise in the Bible that we put our feet upon is ours. The rich plain of healing is ours if we will simply put our foot there and claim it. The upland of spiritual power is ours. Though the devil is there and will try and deny his passage, it is ours if we will but go against him and drive him out of his strongholds through the might of the name of Jesus and the word of God. Let's not compromise, but defeat every enemy. Leave none left in the promised land of God's inheritance for our lives. The size of our inheritance depends on how much land we choose to take for our life. It comes down to where we have trodden under our spiritual feet of faith, really stood on and walked over how much of God do we really want. Every child of God has to make this choice for themselves. Go for it all, my brother and sister. We can claim and enjoy as many promises of God as we want. They already belong to us, bought and paid for by Jesus. We can't let religious traditions rob us of the truth. Don't take no for an answer. If we will only persevere, every enemy can be defeated. Every spoil and treasure can be captured and enjoyed. Satan knows that when we come in agreement with God's word, God cannot allow us to fail without seeing himself fail, and this he will not allow. Then with a knowledge of our privileges as children of God and a will to have them for ourselves and for others, coupled with a persistent spirit that will not admit defeat, we can cast into the sea any mountain that stands before us. Go in this might, and God will get the glory as we get the victory in Jesus' name. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Bible tells us that this fight is a fight of faith. Standing on and believing in God's word in spite of what the devil tries to throw at us. This is the fight that we win when we stand on the word. Just as Jesus defeated the devil in Luke chapter 4 by speaking the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have so shipwrecked their faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Consider this. Prayer does not change God because God does not change. Rather, prayer changes us and the circumstances that are arraigned against us. 
When Jesus was talking about the mountain in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, or the mulberry tree in Luke chapter 17, verse 6, he was talking about obstacles, roadblocks, and hindrances that stand in our way. Kind of sounds like some of those would certainly be demonic in origin, doesn't it? Well, what is our response supposed to be? Oh God, please move these problems areas out of my life. It's not fair every time I want to serve you, something gets in my way. Kind of spoken in a whiny tone. Jesus never said for us to ask God to do anything about it, but he told us to speak to those problem areas and tell them where to go. And they would obey us, not God, but us. Makes sense in light of being authorized by God to use the name of Jesus. Mountains in this life are obstacles of the enemy in a defiant attempt to deny us of God's will, his word from coming to pass in our lives. At this juncture, we know we are in his will for God's word is God's will. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So as we face off with the mountains in our lives, a mountain of bad habits, financial debt, or terminal disease, his will and his word becomes our will and our word. His command, our command. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So what do we say to those circumstances of life? In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. That is as though Jesus were saying it. And when he says it, that makes the Father say it. Standing in back of us is the union of the Trinity and the power of the universe. God's will and our will are aligned against the enemy. Through us, God is able to fight his enemies in this world. He acts through us. Through us, he uses his power. As we hurl that matchless name of his Son against the hosts of hell, they will fly away in confusion. God has authorized us to use the name of Jesus against the enemies of God, which are the same enemies that come against us. Let's use the name, the power and majesty that is in the name of Jesus, and make those mountains a plain to walk over. When we use the name, this brings God on the scene. So our opponents have to fight against God. The battle is His. It is His honor now that is being challenged. When God fights, our enemies tremble and fall to rise no more. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 16 verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, I will make those who are a synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Notice in these scriptures that God brings them to your feet, not his. When one uses the name according to the word of God, Jesus backs his name with all the power of God. There is just no force, might, or authority in earth, air, or in hell that can prevent the answer. It simply must come to pass according to Mark chapter 11, verse 22, and Luke chapter 17, verse 6. We may think our mountain is large, and the sea is as a great distance, and our own faith is small. Well, all this may be true in the natural, but our confidence is in that name above all names. Now, I want you to get this. Jesus said the secret is not more faith, but to use our faith as a seed by speaking to the problems in life in Jesus' name. Once we know the secret, what a difference the Christian life becomes. Understanding how to drive a car will take us places sure beats walking. I may not know how a turbocharger works, but I know that when I press my foot on the accelerator, the car moves. I just need to know the basics of speaking the name of Jesus. The rest is bonus information. It is not the quantity of faith, but the place where it is aimed. If we speak in that name, we are a victor from that hour on, whether it concerns money, health, or souls, we cannot fail. It has nothing to do with our feelings. The mighty name that heads up all the power of the universe says so, and it must be so. God is not a liar. I like what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As a Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So question, was that faith or arrogance? Well, if anyone today spoke like David did, people would would be claiming that they were being arrogant and proud. But no, what David said here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that's what faith sounds like. Here's another example in Exodus chapter 14 verse 13. Moses answered the people, "Don't be afraid, Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How about Psalms chapter 37, verse 7? Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. 
But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster they will not wither, in days of famine they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish, the Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields, they will vanish, vanish like smoke. Our enemy may be stubborn and resist us, but our will is set. We have already won in Jesus. So let's charge the enemy in that all-conquering name. The enemy may stand for a time, but he must yield. It takes a strong will, perseverance, and persistence to hold us quiet in some places. But God can and will strengthen our resolve to stand. For a delay to an answer does not mean denial. Delay does not mean denial. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The battle comes down to us making the choice to stand on God's word no matter what. If we are going to just try the name of Jesus and kind of give it a whirl, please don't bother. It won't work because the devil will know and just wait for us to give up. With stubborn persistence, let's push our way up through every obstacle the enemy may place in our way. Yeah, it's tough, hard, and difficult, but this is where the crucible of character is formed for God's glory and our eventual joy and victory. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The above scripture has encouraged me through many a tough place and will work for you too. If you will embrace and stand on them in the face of conflicts, trials, tests, and temptations, does that mean I won every battle? No, by no means. But I refuse to give up and be called a failure. God is faithful to brush us off and forgive us for every defeat. Just don't disown him and abandon the faith. If we have taken hold of the plow, we must hold on until the field is finished. Look up at the mountain. Be bold as a lion, as Proverbs 28.1 says. Like David, run to the battle line. Our confidence is in the Lord. That is why we are very bold. The greater one lives inside of us. This is not arrogance or self-sufficiency. No, we are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, not in ourselves. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Holy Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. In Luke chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The devil is not going to roll over and concede to us in making inroads against his world system with the gospel. He does not appreciate us robbing him of souls, binding his minions from doing their dirty work. He's going to set his will against ours and stir up trouble in order to make our life difficult in the hope that we will give up and say it's not worth it and quit, or at least pull it down a few notches. He will try to rain on our parades, steal our peace and joy, attack our body with symptoms, manufacture financial trouble. You get the idea? He will even try to get our kids to act rebellious or our spouse to get into selfishness. He will try to exploit any and every weakness, probe for any opening in order to take the steam out of our engine. That is exactly what the devil was doing to Paul in in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7, persecution. Satan had detached a demon to follow Paul wherever he went to stir up trouble, talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Today there are certain types of people who are always trying and never seem to get settled in their walk with God. They are always standing up for prayers, but never seem to get any further. Still, there are others who really seem to get the light of God's word, but are held back by some unseen power. The antidote for these folks is to break the power of devil over their lives, command the enemy to cease and desist from his maneuvers and operations in their lives in Jesus' name. This can be done for unbelievers too. When we say, in the name of Jesus, I command the power of alcoholism, drugs, pornography, you name it, to be broken over this life, and of course we can pray this over ourselves as well, instantly they will be delivered. And since there is no distance in the Spirit, we do not have to be in their presence. Of course, remember, they have to want to be free before they can receive it. Demonic strongholds keep people from accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They are hungry for God and want deliverance from sin. They crave eternal life, but they are unable, many of them, to break loose from the bonds that are holding them. I cannot become a Christian. I want to, but something keeps holding me back. Well, our response should be to speak over them. In the name of Jesus, I command the power that holds you broken now in Jesus' name. 
In 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Even born-again, spirit-filled believers can find themselves in all sorts of bondages that were either carried over from their past or got involved with in the present. This even includes folks who are unable to testify or lead in prayer or freely praise God with their lips, who feel their mouths are closed while their hearts cry out for liberty. There is scarcely a case for whom a prayer in the mighty name of Jesus has not broken the power of the enemy over a person's life having received, in most cases, immediate deliverance. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sickness, disease, poverty, oppression of all kinds, every name that can be named must all bow to the name of Jesus in obedience and compliance. I cannot conceive how successful work can be done today or how believers can be in a place of continual victory unless they know that the source of their danger is found many times in demonic power and that the power to conquer it is in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Three things are necessary in order to pray and take deliverance and victory over demons. Number one, we must be a child of God. We must be born again. We must not have any unconfessed or unforgiven sin in our heart. For if we do, the demons will just laugh at our prayers. And number three, we must know the power and have faith in the name of Jesus and know how to use it. Read the book of Acts carefully and notice how the early church used the name of Jesus. If our own life has been defeated and hemmed in by the power of the devil, rise up in that almighty name of Jesus, hurl back the enemy, let's take our deliverance and go set others free. Another look at the trichotomy of mankind. Mankind is a threefold being known as a trichotomy, spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit being, I have a soul, and I live in a body. Mankind's development should encompass all three dimensions. To train only the physical is to make an athlete. To train only the mental is to make an intellectual academic. To train only the spiritual is to make a fanatic. God's plan is for the development and training of the whole person. The first priority being of the spirit, then the soul, and then finally the body. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Conscience is the voice of the spirit, and with our spirit we contact God. Reason is the voice of the soul, and with the soul we contact the intellectual realm. Our soul is made of our mind, will, and emotions. Feelings are the voice of the body. And with our feelings and our five senses, we contact the physical realm. 
We have three kinds of folks in the world today. First, those in whom the physical dominate. They are governed by their passions, appetites, and physical desires, the addicts and abusers of their body. Secondly, there are those whom the mind dominates. Here we have the great financial, educational, social, and political leaders. A purely intellectual development makes a person a dangerous asset to society. It develops their ego, arrogance, and pride with a selfish ambition to dominate others with his or her newly acquired intelligence. Thirdly, there are those in whom the spirit dominates. These are the great spiritual leaders of the church today, men and women of humility and love with servant hearts to elevate others to God, seeking to restore fallen mankind back to God, to walk in the spirit and glorify God. For people to be educated mentally is to be one-third educated. To be educated physically and mentally is to be two-thirds educated. However, to be educated and trained spiritually, mentally, and physically is God's design for a balanced and whole individual and is the essence of development and maturity. Humanity is divided between those whose minds rule the body and spirit and those whose bodies rule the mind and the spirit. A few generations ago, society taught a boy and girl about self-discipline and restraint, also known as temperance. They had to learn to keep the body under or it would destroy them. Now adults are telling kids to go ahead and explore their passions and see where it takes them. Now we have a ton of kids who do not know what who they are anymore. There's an identity crisis that is happening amongst the, this generation. Remember, confusion of this sort is the handiwork of the devil. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. What we are calling for is a threefold development of people's spirit, soul, and body according to the word of God. This brings into play a beautiful rhythm in life that is a synchronized with God's help and dream for his creation, to be first in relationship with him and become masters over the intellectual and natural realms for God's purpose and glory. Only through the spirit-led life can the body be brought under control. A purely intellectual attainment lacks balance, lacks the governing and discipline that the spiritual realm of God can only give. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under law. This explains the crime and rebellion that is sweeping over our land. God is being taken out of our homes, schools, courtrooms, government, and so-called higher places of learning, even many churches. So we wonder why our society is decaying. We have been in denial for decades, thinking that being progressive means leaving God and traditional values out of our lives. We've actually, it's not progressive, it's regressive. People are going backwards and decaying in their moral values. What we have done is forsaken our own help and open the door for Satan to come in and wreak havoc in our country. For generations, we have been developing the physical and mental at the expense of the spiritual. And what do we have to show for it? A feel-good, materialistic, me-centered, selfish society that glorifies expedience for commitment, instant gratification for character. 
Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes of drinking wine and champions at mixed drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire flick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty, and spurned the words of the Holy One of Israel. We have seen a breakdown of the family unit. Around 50% of children are raised in broken homes. Where is the godly instruction of training up of to love others, to respect authority, the values of hard work, faith, and honor. Our secular, progressive, or regressive society has normalized sin. We are now considered a freak if we insist on preservation of marriage between a man and a woman. We are called out of touch, a fundamentalist and narrow-minded. What has happened to our nation when the murdering of the unborn becomes something of convenience? Euthanism or assisted suicide is becoming socially acceptable as an act of mercy. Watch as illegal drugs will become more and more accepted as the safeguards of our society are challenged and torn down in the name of self-interest, self-determination, and moral relativism. The lines of morality have become blurred and grayed out in a secular humanistic agenda of self-expression and self-indulgence. Again, this is nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun. History is simply repeating itself. The enemy is causing our nation to to be corrupted and destroyed from within. If the Bible is just another book and there is no God, if there is no God, then there is no accountability, no standards, no restraint. That is not freedom, but a path to destruction, hurt, and misery. It's anarchy and rebellion. This is the work of Satan, to cause total chaos and for folks to give themselves completely over to sensual indulgence at another's expense. Every person becomes a law unto themselves. The gratification of their desires, the carrying out of their plans, the utter ignoring of personal responsibility towards others is a result. Everyone begins looking after themselves. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6, We were all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 21 verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. For I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In case you're thinking this so-called modern trend is new, it's not. Satan keeps recycling his old garbage through the ages with a different wrapper in a different package. He is still peddling the same old thing, rebellion against God. Consider Noah in the flood, or Nimrod, and the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 verse 1. We are in the world, but not of it. We need to be on our guard that the spirit of the world does not creep into our homes and churches. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. 
The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who is distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment, while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. All is not lost, even though the church is becoming the last front in our society where the light of biblical character and values are being taught and practiced. Even though many churches have become lukewarm, there are still others that have not compromised the message and are walking in the light of the word called the Bible. I firmly believe that the reality of a given society is a product of the spiritual institutions that are in place. If a country is in decline, it's because it started with the church in this nation. The remedy is simple, a renewal and reassertion of the church in our country, and we will see a revival of godliness in the land. It won't happen overnight, any more than we have been in gradual decline over the decades. It's not found in social activism, but in getting folks born again, one at a time. That is what changes the social landscape of a country. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, Jesus said, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what this Spirit says to the churches. The truth is that this world is not getting any better. 
as the secular humanists espouse. Rejecting God at every turn is a well-known and recorded recipe for disaster. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. If that scripture does not describe the day we live in, I don't know what will. Job chapter 8 verse 13, such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it does not hold. Psalms chapter 9 verse 17. The wicked return to the grave and all the nations that forget God. God has created us in his image. We are spirit beings. He has a divine purpose for our lives that we may commune with him. It was God's dream that mankind should have a relationship with his creator. So God fashioned man with the capacity and spiritual constitution to fulfill this dream. Through the fall, mankind was alienated from God because of sin, which separated mankind and greatly impaired his spiritual faculties. However, through Jesus Christ, reconciliation, righteousness, and the new birth has been provided to restore our lost fellowship and the ability to once again commune with our loving Creator. The spiritual potential in in mankind is capable of marvelous developments in God through His Word. Yet our educational institutions fail to recognize its possibilities due to the misapplication of separation of church and state. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. John chapter 4 verse 23. Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. However, this is the mission of the church, to develop the greatest part of a person, their spirit. The training and development of our spirit should embrace our greatest priority and highest effort. To neglect this critical area of our being is to sink to a level of instinct like that of an animal. That is exactly what Satan wants, to push evolution in order for humanity to buy into the lie that we are just like animals with a bigger brain. This notion makes the way for people to override their consciences and follow mere natural instincts of the sinful nature and indulge into sin of all kinds, akin to believing that Satan does not exist. This lie that we were mere animals ensures Satan's domination over their lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. 
Paul said, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Jude verse 8. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even if the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood from what He has made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual purity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The only threat the devil has is when people become spiritually born again and walk in the spiritual realm with God. The devil is a spirit being, so only by exercising spiritual authority through our spirit in that dimension can we trample the devil under our feet. As a result, this is what Satan is so afraid of, and will do whatever he can to prevent us from ascending back to our restored place of exercising dominion from our spirit. As believers, if we allow the devil to drag us into the mental realm or the arena of our feelings, the physical, he will defeat us every time. However, if we will pull him into the realm of faith, the Word of God, the spirit realm, we will defeat him every time. Remember in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? How did Jesus defeat him? By speaking the word. It is written. This fight is a fight of faith. 
speaking and standing on God's word against the enemy. It is a fight that we win 100% of the time if we will not turn loose of God's word, the Bible, in our lives and speaking the name of Jesus. Paul said by the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The supernatural realm is really the realm of the believer. No one knows how much the mind and the spirit can be developed. The key is learning to discipline the body because of the sinful nature that is in it. Submitting our bodies to the word by this Holy Spirit unleashes unimaginable potential for our spirit. We have been slow to come to the realization that mankind are spirit beings, and that his or her spirit is the core of their being, the real us. In a fallen world system, the focus is on the intellect, particularly in our Western culture. The spirit of a person is utterly ignored. Even though most people do realize that they are eternal beings, they confuse their soul with their spirit. Only through the recreated spirit of a born-again child of God can the mind become renewed and the passions of the body brought under control. That is not religion, but reality. It is sad to see folks with bodies out of control, driven from one lust to another, with the law of diminishing return set in motion. This law is the result of sin, in that it's never satisfied, and requires greater stimulation each time in order for it to reach the same high until their life spirals down to a premature death. Mark this down, the flesh is never satisfied. Romans chapter 8 verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature in their body cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature in our body, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Holy Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now to wrap up this episode, we're now going to look at what we need to know about demons. As Christians, we are not afraid of the devil or demons. For non-Christians, that's another matter. They have a grave reason for concern. The theological study of demonology based on scripture only reinforces this subject on the authority of the believer. So be encouraged, our Jesus has already defeated and triumphed over the devil for our benefit. With the greater one, the Holy Spirit within us, the two-edged sword of the word of God in our mouth, and possessing the awesome power in the name of Jesus, it's no wonder we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. What we're going to do now is look at common questions that people have about demons. First question, can a Christian have a demon? There is no such thing as a Christian being demon-possessed. To be demon-possessed means to be completely taken over, spirit, soul, and body, by the devil. This was the case with the madman of Gadara in Mark chapter 5. A Christian, on the other hand, can be oppressed externally. Demon activity concerning Christians will either be in the body or their mind. The Holy Spirit is already in our spirit. A demon can't be there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it states, Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Here's another question. Does the presence of sickness and disease always indicate demonic activity? The devil is behind all sickness and disease, but that does not mean that there is a literal presence of an evil spirit in a person. The body teaches that all sickness is oppression of the enemy, either directly or indirectly. Sometimes there is a literal presence of a spirit there. In some cases, a demon that brought a certain sickness may remain in the body and enforce the sickness so that demon has to be dealt with. An example of this is found in Luke chapter 13, verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from what bound her on the Sabbath, Jesus said? In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, in the Amplified, how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the strength and ability and power, how he went about doing good, and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed 
by the power of the devil, for God was with him. When it comes to the demonic oppressing Christian lives, I think the best analogy that I can share is about termites. When you consider a house, a physical house, it may have termites inside the walls, but the termites are not in the people who are inside the house. See, our body is the temple of not only of the Holy Spirit, but of our spirit. So the devil may be oppressing a Christian's physical body, but that doesn't mean that that evil spirit is inside the person, because only the Holy Spirit is there if you're saved. The fact of the matter is, is a Christian walking with God can't be taken over by the devil. In fact, the devil can't do anything in him or her without their permission. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 in the Amplified, Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Remember, sickness and disease is always satanic oppression in one form or another, either directly or indirectly. Now, Luke chapter 4, verse 38 states that Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Notice that healing and dealing with evil spirits are often mentioned together. Let's look at a number of scriptures that deal with that. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Mark chapter 3, verse 10. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. In Luke chapter 6, verse 18, People had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. In Luke chapter 7, verse 21, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits. Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Acts chapter 5, verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts chapter 8, verse 7. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Next question. Should you talk to demons when calling them out? Did you ever notice that Jesus would tell them to be quiet? There's no scripture in the New Testament where he ever held a conversation with demons at length. In Mark chapter 1 verse 23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, and come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Behind every vice known to mankind, there is a demonic spirit to encourage and energize the flesh to commit those acts. If a person yields to it long enough, a demonic stronghold in their life will develop. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We need to realize that there are many kinds of evil spirits. There are deceiving spirits, lying spirits, familiar spirits, religious spirits, sexually immoral spirits, deaf and dumb spirits, and others. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here's our next question. Can a person be possessed by more than one demon? Well, the answer is no. Only one evil spirit does the possessing, but it can invite many others to join it. Notice also from Mark chapter 5, verse 8. Demons' first choice is to possess a person, but their second choice would be an animal. Demons are disembodied spirits, so they need a physical body of some kind in order to find expression, just as we need our physical body to express ourselves in this world. Also notice in this account that they did not want to be cast out of the area. Demons are very territorial, wanting to operate in the same geographical area. Hence, the character of a city or region will take on the personality of the demonic spirits that operate there. The Holy Spirit will give us insight into this at the time. In Mark chapter 5, verse 8, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number, and they rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. The next question, when dealing with demons in a person's life, what is the next step once the person has been delivered? When a person is delivered from sin, from sickness, from the devil, or from anything, he or she immediately needs to be pushed into a discipline of confessing God's word, testimony of their deliverance to others, and get active serving in the kingdom of God. You can read that in Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Another question, will the devil try to return after he has been cast out? The answer is yes. The devil always will endeavor to go right back to the place he has left. That is a spiritual principle explained for us in Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus said when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. After you get saved, you can mark it down. The devil will try to get back in your life. He'll try to get you to do wrong. If you were delivered of sickness, he'll try to put the same thing back on you. In dealing with demons in the lives of Christians, you must be careful to get the word into people. Otherwise, you'll do them an injustice, because they may wind up seven times worse than they were before. Here's another question. 
How much authority do we have in keeping devils off our own property? The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has more authority than we have realized yet. The rock Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, was the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we speak God's word concerning the redemptive realities that were bought by the blood of Jesus and declare that over our property, our children, and our lives, Satan can't trespass there. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 1 John chapter 5 verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Here's another question. Do we have authority over other people's wills? Often we try to take authority we have in our own lives and exercise it in somebody else's life. But we don't have it, so the answer is no. You see, you can run the devil off from your own life, but you can't always run the devil off from somebody else's. I can handle my own finances, but I can't always handle your finances unless you turn them over to me. So a person has to want to be delivered and give you permission to take authority over the enemy in their life. We cannot intrude into other people's lives without their consent. As long as a person's own mentality and will is at work, they can have control over themselves. They have a lot to do with their own deliverance. You must teach people their responsibility to agree with you. The greatest form of deliverance is when the believer stands up and speaks the name of Jesus for themselves, putting the devil on the run in their own life. James chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Next question we have here is, How much authority over the devil do we have when we are in his territory? The devil has no right to trespass on God's property. But if you trespass on the devil's property, he has a right to attack you. God can't keep him from it, and you can't keep him from it because you're on his property. It's like this. I don't have authority in your house or apartment. I can't just go over there and say, we're going to move everything out of this room and sell all of it. In the house of God, if the devil comes around, we're, we've got the authority. But if we go to the devil's house and try to exercise authority there, he may throw us out. For instance, if you go to a strip club and congregate there, Willingly, you are in the devil's turf. Other folks want to be there also, and they've exercised their free will. Can we pray against that place and do spiritual warfare through intercession and prayer and a prayer meeting? Absolutely. There is no distance in the Spirit. Literally speaking, if you go to places controlled by Satan without being led by the Spirit to go there, you can get attacked. Spiritually speaking, if you get into disobedience, you can get spiritually over into the devil's territory also. You can claim protection, however, and go wherever you have to go, especially when you go in the name of Jesus as an ambassador of Christ, as God leads you to witness and pray in dark places, but always be led by the Holy Spirit. For example, missionaries that are sent by God can always expect to be protected. 
Next question. What are the most important qualifications for success in dealing with devils? If we know God has planned to use us in a certain way, we can prepare ourselves so we'll be more efficient in that area. You prepare yourself by fasting and praying, by waiting on God, by meditating in the Word, and by living right. There are two things that are important if you're going to deal with devils. Number one, you've got to live right. If you don't live right, you won't have any confidence and the devil will just laugh at you. You have to have boldness. And you can't be bold unless you know your rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. Here's another question. How do you stop demonic activity that is causing believers to hinder the work of the church? If anyone is harassing, intimidating, embarrassing, or deterring the ministry of the church, you know that's the devil. You don't have to have discerning of spirits. You don't have to see the devil. You don't have to know it supernaturally. That's just the devil. Any Christian could put a stop to that kind of activity in the privacy of his or her own home. You don't have to go out and broadcast it. You don't have to deal with the person directly. Just say, you foul spirit that's operating through so-and-so, and call the person's name. Embarrassing, intimidating, harassing, or deterring the ministry of the church, I command you to stop in Jesus' name. Believers can unconsciously yield to the devil and be used by the devil. Even Peter was when he tried to discourage Jesus from going to Jerusalem. But that doesn't mean that they're unsaved or demon-possessed. It takes time and experience to learn not to yield to the devil. This can apply not just to the church, but folks who are causing grief in your own life. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here's another question. Can demons manifest themselves in the physical realm? The answer is yes. I firmly believe that some UFOs are simply demonic manifestations. And as children of God, we have authority to stop those supernatural manifestations in Jesus' name. When Dr. Lester Sumrall was building a church in the Philippines in the 1950s, he heard on the radio about a girl who would fight with something nobody could see. Though people could see tooth marks and saliva on her, she had to be confined in a jail cell. Doctors and psychiatrists examined her and asked her what had been biting her. She said, there are two hairy-looking monsters. One is big and the other is small, and they attack me. They were demons manifesting themselves in the physical realm. Of course, she was not a Christian. Dr. Simral got permission to see her. When he first entered the jail cell, the devil supernaturally spoke through her in English. I don't like you. The devil cursed him, cursed God, cursed Jesus, and cursed the blood. After Dr. Simral got the girl delivered, she couldn't speak a word of English. He had to communicate with her through an interpreter. The devil had spoken out of her mouth supernaturally. Those tooth marks were real. That wasn't the girl talking in English saying, I don't like you. It was the devil. So the devil can do some things supernaturally. But thank God we have authority over them. In Acts chapter 19 verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. 
One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Here's another question. Is alcoholism a demon? Look, any bondage, addiction that compels, forces, and overwhelms people into slavery to sin has demons behind it. When the Holy Spirit directs us, it's through peace and joy, a prompting and urging, but never forced against our will. Next question. How do you help someone receiving deliverance from smoking? With their permission, we can pray for and lay our hands on people and say, In the name of Jesus, I break the power of nicotine over your life. And I'm going to say this by faith. The next cigarette you smoke will make you sick. The spirit of faith speaks to mountains of problems and tells them to leave according to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Next question. How can you help a person who is being hindered by the devil from speaking in other tongues? Demons attempt to hinder people in every aspect of spiritual life. They try to keep people from all the blessings of God. Christians who have felt too timid to testify or to pray in public have had their tongues loosened instantly in the name of Jesus. We always must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when dealing with people. In praying for Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for instance, sometimes it's the devil holding them back. It isn't always the case. As, and so we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be led when we pray with people. The Lord will reveal to us the source of the problem. For example, we can be led to pray something like this, I rebuke you, foul spirit of doubt in the name of Jesus, and leave this person. Of course, you could pray that softly so it's not embarrassing that person just under your breath. Another question, is it necessary to look a demon-possessed person in the eye to get them delivered? You have to make contact with the person's eyes sometimes before you can get the devil out of him or her. Sometimes a person's spirit is trying to hide, but you can get hold of their spirit with your spirit and instantly they'll receive deliverance. Here's another question. Does God tell us to pray that he'll do something about the devil? Answer is no. The scriptures say for you to resist the devil and he'll flee from you according to James chapter 4 verse 7. You is the understood subject of the sentence. Peter says, your adversary, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, adversary means enemy, opponent, or one arrayed against you. Yes, we've got an enemy, an opponent, one who's arrayed against us. Satan, being the small g god of this world, is seeking whom he may devour. Peter's writings were addressed to Christians. The adversary is not walking about seeking how many sinners he may devour. It's the saints he's after. What are you going to do about it? Stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and pray he'll go away? Roll over and play dead like a possum? Remember Paul said, Neither give place to the devil, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. That means, don't give the devil place in you. It means he can't take any place unless you give it to him, doesn't it? How are you going to keep him from it? You resist him with the word and he'll flee from you. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Next question. Is it harmful to talk about the devil's power? You know, you can give place to the devil by giving him more credit than God. In church, some people give more praise to the devil than they do God. 
I'm talking about born-again, spirit-filled people praise the devil more than they do God. Some people will say, I'll tell you, the devil's here. He's got us all bound up. I don't know how in the world brother so-and-so is going to be able to preach in this kind of atmosphere. We're going to have to hurry up here and turn him loose. No, you, you don't have to turn us loose. We've already been loosed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we weren't bound to begin with. We're already free. Now, it's been said, the devil's here. You see, the more they talked about the devil, the more frightened those folks would become. They had been saying, the devil's here, the devil's taken over, the devil's got it, the devil, the devil, the devil. That's all they talk about. Sure, the devil will come to church more regularly than most faithful Christians. But what of it? Jesus is here. God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Start talking like that, and the people will start straightening up in their chairs. Let them who boast, boast in the Lord. Many people talk about what the devil is doing and how he's keeping them sick and unsuccessful. They give the devil dominion over themselves when they do that. But if you talk about what God's word says, the devil will run from you in terror. You have authority because of the name of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, And surely I am with you, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, Jesus also said, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Here's another question for us to look at. Can demons manifest in someone's home? Yes, some places are actually haunted, but it's not by people who have left this life, rather by demonic spirits. Every born-again, spirit-filled believer can allow this sort of thing to go on. Remember, what we allow, God allows. The Lord is waiting for us to use the name of Jesus, resist the devil with the word. That's when all the power of heaven backs us up. Look, when dealing with the devil... We don't have to yell and scream. That does not help. But faith in the name of Jesus makes all the difference. We can go into their house and with their permission and speaking in an ordinary conversational tone, declare, in the name of Jesus, I command every spirit to leave and all demonic activity in this house to cease. That's it. Some Christians are embarrassed when they bring up the subject of the devil, like as if it's taboo to talk about it. Personally, I'm not embarrassed to know the devil and demons are real, are you? They were real in the Bible times, and they're just as real now as then. I'm not afraid of them, and you ought not to be either. Not if you're a Christian, that is. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Okay, now for the final question. Once you've been delivered, how can you make sure you keep that deliverance? After a person gets delivered... He needs to change his ways, his lifestyle, his thinking. Even Christians need to change a lot of times. If you keep on thinking like you were thinking, the devil will come right back. This may sound strange to you, but it's absolutely the truth. Sometimes after people are healed or delivered, I know they'll wind up worse than they were to begin with because they don't know how to control their mouth. How do I know? They're still speaking negatively or thinking wrongly. They'll wind up with the same mess they were in to begin with, or even worse. It is a fact. The devil will try to come back. He's here. That's his job. 
I wish you could get Christians to be as faithful in their jobs as the devil is on his. To stay delivered, people need to read the Bible. They need to depart from evil and do good. They need to walk in close fellowship with God through the Word of God and through daily prayer. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here's some final exhortations. The main hindrance to our spiritual initiative in prayer comes from the neglect of reading and feeding on the Word. It is evidence of a low type of spiritual fellowship with God. When we lose our spiritual edge, we lose something that would drive us through to victory in hard places. It is time for us to give ourselves over to the study of the Word. It is the personal study of the Word that counts. Whenever our faith loses its aggressiveness, the five senses or natural realm have gained the ascendancy in our life. Whenever spiritual things take second place, it is evidence that the realities of the divine things of God in our lives are losing out. Living in this world becomes more real and demanding of our attention, which translates in us getting our focus off of Jesus and being distracted. Living solely in the natural realm, like the world, will dominate our decision-making at crucial junctures of our life. Instead of following the still small voice of the leading of the Holy Spirit, we lean to our own understanding instead and make big mistakes. We assent to the Word instead of acting upon it. We lose our spiritual edge. Boldness to fiercely confess God's Word wanes, and we shrink back. This is the moment the devil is looking for, signs of weakness that he can exploit and move in and run us over. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus said, Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. The cure, my dear brother and sister, is to get back to our first love for God and His Word, giving ourselves over to the Bible. We must refuse to give up our bold confession. Stand on God's Word once again. We have seen the miraculous possibilities that belong to the believer who knows the authority and power that is invested in the name of Jesus, and this knowledge carries with it responsibility that cannot be ignored. We can never be the same kind of Christian that we have been in the past. We have caught a glimpse of what we might do if dared to use the authority that is now our own. Now let's follow through, stepping up to the plate, embracing our God-given mission to use that name, the name of Jesus, and help those who are around us, for it's more blessed to give than to receive. There are many sick in body, sick in mind and spirit, countless needy folks that are crying out for deliverance, that only Jesus' name can bring. 
There are those bound by habits whom Satan rules with merciless hand that could be set free if we would only take our place. We are the only Jesus some folks will ever see in this life. Again, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I love this passage. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. If anyone claims to be in Jesus, we need to walk in his footsteps and do the works he did and more works around the world because he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. Spiritual warfare must be based on scripture to be effective and to work against the enemy. Mark it down that extremes and excesses in deliverance ministry comes in cycles. The devil rebrands and repackages the same old junk to deceive the next generation, thinking that it's new. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. Big God and little devil, exalt the Lord, boast in our God and how great he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 31 states, Therefore, as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast at the Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has the keys to death and hell and has destroyed him who had the power of death that is the devil. This is what we must emphasize and major on, the exalted, risen, and triumphant Jesus, and we are in him. Yet at the same time, let's not be ignorant of the devil's devices and schemes without giving him much credit. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.